Uh, So if you haven't grabbed a Bible and you want to follow along and don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the front and the back of the sanctuary by the doors as well as up here on the steps. And we're turning to the second set of page numbers, page 162, to Paul's letter to Timothy. The first letter, the second chapter, and the first seven verses of the second chapter. I'm recovering from a sore throat and fever this week, so if I get a little, I apologize in advance. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for simple things uh, as well as big things. Simple things like your sustaining strength for the voice of me, your preacher, today. And we think and pray about the big things, about your Holy Spirit's work in transforming our hearts to be more in alignment with your heart, the heart of God. And so as we hear this word today, we pray for both of those things, that um, both the message will come out with clarity and that it will be received with clarity, that we will know more fully and more thoroughly your will in this particular area of each of our lives, since it's the universal will of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I spent a lot of time uh, in First and Second Timothy this summer, uh, in particular because I was asked to write some sermon starters for the Center for Excellence and Preaching's website for all of the epistle texts of the lectionary. And so uh, we're actually doing this text a week early because next weekend I'm going to be using some vacation time to get some training uh, with the Dunamis Fellowship of Canada. And I didn't want to miss getting to preach on this text. So we switched this week and next week's passages in case you're wondering what's going on. Uh, If you're really astute, most of us probably didn't notice at all, which is totally fine. Uh, but uh, the thing about First and Second Timothy that's very interesting, especially as a preacher, is it's uh, both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. Uh, Timothy and Paul were missionaries who went to the city of Ephesus, among many other cities, and established churches. They spread the good news of Jesus. People came to faith. They started communities of faith. Uh, and then they went, moved on to other places. Uh, And then they would sometimes come back for visits uh, and lead the people and check in with the people regularly through letter writing and that sort of thing. Now, in the church in Ephesus, we know, has a whole letter that's written to it in the book of Ephesians. That's the book that's written to the church in Ephesus. But this is also a book uh, or a letter that's about what's happening in in the church there in Ephesus. And it turns out that things are not going very well there that there are divisions. And we have spent time in First Timothy, so if this is sounding familiar to you, uh, you know, that's great. Um, we've spent time on Sunday mornings in First Timothy. But Paul leaves Timothy there. Paul is the, Paul is the, the mentor, the, the colleague, but also the guy who has helped Timothy truly understand God's calling for him. So he's, he's, mo- he's more than a colleague. He's more than a mentor. He's kind of like a father in the faith. For Timothy, and Timothy is younger, he's got some health issues, he's compared to Paul, a bit more timid, um, 
uh, in terms of being less forthright, perhaps, or bold. And so you get, we get all these words of encouragement for Timothy uh, from Paul here, because Paul has left Timothy in the church in Ephesus to try to help this church turn itself back around to help uh, lead some of these people who are in the community who are teaching things that are not of Jesus in their midst. And they're teaching things that are not of Jesus in a way that it's causing significant division and is taking advantage of some of the vulnerable members of their community to do their work of causing this division. This is what we see when he's talking about all the young widows and the young women uh, who are going house to house and spreading these bad teachings. It's these false teachers who are using these women to spread their message. So Paul sends and keeps Timothy there, and he tells them, he tells Timothy that his first call, his job there, is to instruct certain people, this is from chapter 1, verse 3, to not teach any different doctrine, and to not occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation, rather than divine training that is known by faith. So like not adding all of this extra stuff that makes them special compared to somebody else, but to stick with what we got because we've got enough, and we've got enough mystery to explore within what we've got. And then Paul tells Timothy again, verse 3 of chapter 1, the aim of such instruction is that love is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So the aim of this instruction, the aim of this instruction that Timothy is supposed to be giving in the community to both the the teachers who are teaching not great things as well as the whole member is that through that instruction, through that knowledge of God's truth, the Holy Spirit will produce in them the love of God that is characterized by a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Now, when I spend time with books of the Bible, I try to find in those opening sections of the book that kind of one big theme for the whole book. And for me, that sentence is the big theme of Timothy. That can be the lens through which we look at all of the other things that are written. So love that is known through a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That is the goal of what Timothy is meant to be up to. And that is the goal of a Christian community, among many other goals, of course, among many other aspects of what it means to be the community together. But that's a pretty beautiful description of what the Holy Spirit does in us and the impact that it can have because of what the Holy Spirit has done in us. When you have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith— good things of God will happen because of, in you, through you, by you. When you have a good heart, a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith, you're not going to be adding all of these other things that cause divisions and bring uh, dissension and cause all sorts of debacles in a community of faith because you're going to be following in the pure way of the love of God. So as we hear and think about that, that love comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, which we know is the work of God in us, we hear that the first thing that Paul Paul tells Timothy to do to solve the issues, to bring an end to the issues that are in their midst, is prayer. 
So let's hear those instructions now. These are the first instructions that Paul gives to him. Chapter 2, verse 1. I didn't read this yet, right? Okay, thanks. Okay, still a little sick. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul's instruction to a community with division and dissension about doctrine, about deplorable taking advantage of one another, is that they should pray. And he doesn't specify that they should pray about the situation and the problem. He says prayer should be made of all kinds for all kinds of people. Prayer is the first step of this life with Christ and our witness. Prayer that is a thanksgiving prayer as well as a prayer that's asking for people's needs to be met, as well as a prayer that's asking for God to intercede and be part of someone's life and work. Prayer for everyone of all kinds. No wiggle room there, there, Paul. Prayer that is for everyone and of all kinds because it is an act on our part that is a revelation of the character of God. When we pray and offer all kinds of prayers, not just praying for someone to change, not just praying with thanksgiving for the people we love and are so glad to have in our lives, not just praying for, for God to intercede on the people we truly care deeply about, but offering those kinds of prayers for everyone reveals the character of God when we do it. Because God's heart is for everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. And so for us to pray with the same heart that God has, the same pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith is to want all of the things that God wants. To desire all of the things that God desires and to desire those things for all of the people that God desires those things for. To be able to have spent so much time with the Holy Spirit, to sit long enough with God that when we pray for our enemies, we can actually thank God that they are alive. What? 
to spend so much time with the Holy Spirit, to know the Holy Spirit's heart, that we can pray God's blessing upon them through interceding on their behalf. What? To spend so much time with the Holy Spirit that we can seek God for them, asking God to meet their needs, even if they don't acknowledge God, that God will reveal to them truth so that they might come to knowledge, so that they might know his salvation, because this is the desire of God's heart. It is not to squash and destroy the enemy. It is for them to know him, to know his love, to know his salvation, to know his good. And I know I've talked about this before, but it's so pivotal. Doing this kind of prayer reminds us that the people who stand in opposition to us, the people who annoy us, who anger us, who frustrate us, who we might even call our enemies, when we can offer these kinds of prayers for them, we remember that they are human too. We remember that we belong to one another. We remember that before God, we stand as part of the all. We are the everyone, even the people we don't like, even the people who hurt us, even the people who frustrate and make our lives difficult. These are the people Paul is telling us to pray all kinds of prayer for, for everyone So it reveals the character of God because this is God's desire. He says it right here to us. And because this is the kind of prayer that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are continuously offering on our behalf. Praying with thanksgiving for our existence. Praying for our needs to be met by the Godhead. Praying and interceding on our behalf continuously in the throne room above. And so again... When we are people who are praying in these kinds of ways, we are people who are revealing the character of our God. Revealing the heart of our God. Revealing the will of our God. And we don't even have to say anything. We just have to pray. What a gift we have been given. And what a wise gift we have been given. Because it is better to live out of prayer than it is to live out of anything else. How many of us have spent time in prayer and changed our mind about what we would do as a result of praying? The conversation that we got really heated about and wanted to have that after prayer we decided it was wiser to not have. This is the power of prayer and why it is the first step when things are real touchy. 
because this is the way that the Holy Spirit is at work in us for that pure heart, that good conscience, and that sincere faith. And this is because of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he has done. There is one God, one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus, who is part of the all and the everyone that is humanity, and the one who all of us are under. Jesus, the one who connects the all, the maker of the all, the part of the all, the one who gave himself for all. And he is the one that tells us to pray these things for everyone. May we be wise enough to listen. Because these are the things that flow from his pure heart, his good conscience, and his sincere faith. His willingness to do this for everyone. His sacrifice as a ransom for all is why he desires everyone to come to know the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. And so as we find our hearts within his heart, we find our desires within his desires. And we see that this is just one more strand in the big narrative of what God has always been about. This blessing meta-narrative that we find in scripture that begins with Abraham when God says, Who you bless, I will bless. This is just one more strand in the blessing of God for the world, the revelation of God's character. So God, so Paul tells Timothy and us, the Holy Spirit wants us to continue in this practice, to, to offer all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, but he does specify one particular group, and it's not the group that's causing the problems. He specifies that we should offer prayers of all kinds, especially for our rulers and those who are in authority. So remember, the city of Ephesus is part of the Roman Empire, where Christians are a minority, where the ethos and the morality of the Christian way of life does not match the laws of the land does not match the cultural practices of the place, and who could easily find themselves, as Christianity has throughout the history of the Roman Empire, until a certain, you know who, Constantine, found themselves at the receiving end of persecution and trouble for being Christian. A story that many Christians today in the modern world still know to be true. So what are we to make of the fact that he specifies that we should pray for kings and all those who are in positions of authority so that we might lead peaceable and quiet lives with all godliness and dignity? 
As we offer our prayers for everyone, we see how it's part of the heart of God. We see how God desires knowledge and truth of him as well as salvation and for the common good for all people. But why are we specifying praying for these leaders? Well, because these people have the power to be agents of God's blessing as well. These people have the power to make for the common good. These are the people who can make the laws and decrees that can help everyone, including people of the minority faith like Christianity, survive, maybe even thrive, whether they proclaim Jesus' name as their Savior or not, because God is the King and ruler of all. Amen? And so in a place and a time where things were tenuous, not only in the church, but around the church, this prayer fits well for surviving and thriving and for witnessing to what God can do. So we witness the heart of God through the way that we pray, and we see the witness of that transforming power of God through our prayers and what happens around us. And we see that every ruler, whether they belong to the party we voted for or not, is part of the all of who we ought to pray for. Because through their decision-making, they can be part of God's kingdom work in this place. They can make our existence harder or easier. And so we want to pray with thanksgiving and intercession and supplication that God will continuously be at work in them and through them for God's good for the world. And do you notice the life that Paul says would result from that kind of, or the hopeful result of that kind of prayer life? A peaceable and quiet life. A life that recognizes that it cannot always have its way. As minorities of a population or a culture, that we will not always have our ways and have our values matching in the laws of the land. But we can pray. And we can pray not just for the laws to change, but we can pray with thanksgiving that we have laws that protect us. We can pray with thanksgiving for the people who make the laws. We can pray that God will meet their needs so that they might come to knowledge of truth of what ought to be. And we lead peaceable and quiet lives that are not separated and withdrawn from a community where we sometimes feel as though we are being judged inappropriately for what we believe or how we choose to live Because we reveal the heart and character of God where we are. And is God a God that withdraws? Or is a God the God who moves into the neighborhood and prays all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people? 
who interacts with those who will call him enemy and who seeks to share knowledge of God's truth and desires to see everyone be saved. What's really fascinating, and this could be a whole other sermon, so don't worry, is that the words that Paul uses for godliness and dignity are not the usual religious Jewish words. They're words that are from the Hellenistic culture that surrounded them. So not words that were buzzwords about what it meant to be internally pure and living in the world, but words that were talking about their external actions that showed the world who they were and what they believed in a way that could be respected by the community around them. Paul saying following in the way of Jesus is not counter to being able to be uh, respected or looked upon kindly by the world around us. Especially when we're known as people who seek the common good, the good that God desires for his world. The good that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. The good that has the character of Jesus Christ himself. I cannot tell a lie, Paul says. This is the call. Not just to people who knew Yahweh, but to everyone. To Jews and Gentiles alike. To pray for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways, leading a peaceful and quiet life. And doesn't that sound like a life of prayer? Living with all godliness and dignity, flowing from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And one that particularly prays for people in power. People who can do something about stuff so that they too might come to knowledge of the truth of Jesus and all that he wants for this world. Amen. So we're going to spend time now uh, using, oh, yeah, so that's the other part of this that's funny to me. Um, So, you know, uh, we're in an election cycle now, and uh, it's officially begun, and the states are in their prolonged, election cycle that begins with the primaries. And so it seems like a really good time to be thinking about the fact that we're praying for leaders and praying for people who are going to be in power and who are... uh, uh, So we're going to use language about being in power, but we're also going to have in our hearts the idea that this is for the people who are going to be elected coming up in the next fall. So I'm going to invite the the praise team to come forward. Um, Earlier this summer, there was a special day of prayer that was called for in the evangelical church for for President Trump. And uh, what I found the most fascinating was this reminder to us that there are churches that do this every week. So Anglicans in particular uh, have a regular cycle of praying for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And so we're actually going to be using some prayers from the Book of Common Prayer uh, that uh, were brought up at that time uh, as an example of the ways that you can pray even if you do not like someone. 
So if you're not a Trudeau fan, here you go. Here's how we pray for him. Uh, if you're not a Sheer fan, here we go. Here's how we're going to pray for him. Uh, if you're not an Elizabeth May fan or a Jetmeet Singh fan or a, a Maxine Bernier fan, here we go. This is how we're going to pray for them. All right? And we're going to sing the chorus, Lord, uh, listen to your children praying. Uh, we'll start with that, and then we'll go through uh, a few different prayers and sing that chorus in between. So you can close your eyes if you want. You can keep them open if you want. It's up to you. But we are entering a time of prayer now. <laughs> 